0: Welcome to the Asian's Redefining Their Success podcast, where Asian professionals share their stories of breaking boundaries and switching into more creative and uncommissional careers. I am your host, Yangshi Jo. Hello from Sapporo, Japan. As many of you may know from the Arts Podcast Instagram, I took a break last week to take care of my mental health, um, especially as the days leading up to my flight has been pretty stressful and learning to overcome parental disapproval. And I'm here now at the snow festival and super grateful to be here and really can't wait to share this interview with you featuring Tanya Zane. Tanya graduated with a STEM education and worked as a design consultant at Anderson Yum before creating her own startup, Nimble made, a fashion company that makes men's shirts that are actually slim fit. In this episode of Asians Redefining Their Success, we talk about how Tanya jumped to no- new roles almost every year in pursuit of a fulfilling career, how she overcame the fear of not being cut out for entrepreneurship, and what finally inspired her to take the leap. And this is really heartwarming, so get your tissues ready. We also dived deep into marketing strategies for an e-commerce brand, super bonded over all the things we tried out in marketing that didn't work out for us, so you can learn from our experiences, and what it's like behind the scenes in operating a fashion brand business. And last but not least, the importance of self-care as an entrepreneur. I super enjoyed this episode and hope you will too. Hey Tona, welcome to the Arts Podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited for this. Same. I've been looking forward to this for a while now, so I'm really excited for the listeners to hear your story. If you could first tell us a little bit about yourself, what career you're in, and what you're up to now.
1: Sure. I'm Tanya Zhang. I am the co-founder of an e-commerce men's dress shirt brand called Nimble Maid. Prior to this, I was an art director in advertising. I also worked a little bit in a fintech startup, and then I also worked in consulting for a bit as well.
0: Mm, Yeah, and it's just a bit over a year since you launched NobleMade, right?
1: Yes, a little bit over
0: a year. Crazy. Yeah, that's really awesome. Congrats on your one year plus anniversary, too. (laughs) (laughs) So before you took the leap to work full-time on your business, you were also working in the corporate world in New York City. So how did you know that, you know, a corporate world wasn't a good fit for you? So I'm originally from
1: Los Angeles, California. Mm-hmm. I went to college at University of California, San Diego. So very kind of like STEM research heavy school. And my skill set, my experience is very much in like graphic design and so it was kind of an odd like matchup, I guess in terms of going to that going to like a very stem school for someone who was so arts driven mm. but I mean like I had a great time at UC San Diego and it was just a great group of people and I really learned a lot. I actually was working at a design studio on campus where I helped a lot of clubs and organizations create posters or flyers or t-shirts that they needed for their events. And so actually, that really helped me with my portfolio coming out of college to get an internship at an ad agency, which was in New York City. And so that was kind of that transition from West Coast to East Coast. From that internship, I basically stayed in New York the next four or five years-ish, um, working within the corporate space. And I think I, I think I really wanted to love it. Because of how I was raised and like the cultural space I'm in, as an Asian American first generation born in the US, I was trying to find a job within the corporate space that I felt really fulfilled in. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was very tough for me. I basically jumped every year to a new office, and oh, I was wow. like, okay, this time, yeah, it was really fast, actually, I was trying to, like, make it sound longer on my, like, LinkedIn resume mm-hmm. and my profile, but it's, like, just barely a year, and I'm, like, out of there. I was trying to, like, find the next thing or find something new that I felt like would be, like, a better fit for me. I just, like, could never really find it, and I think, ultimately, that's just because I had a, or I, I have a more kind of entrepreneurial spirit, and I think owning my own business was something that I just really wanted to do.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love that you went after that route of trying to find something fulfilling instead of staying in one place. And I know Mm -hmm. in another interview, you mentioned that you knew that you had an entrepreneurial spirit, but you never really thought that it was a valid career path for you. So could you talk a little bit about that and your experience with that and how did you overcome it? Because I think for a lot of Asian Americans, we feel like, you know, we enjoy entrepreneurship or we enjoy the arts mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel feasible for us
1: well let's see when I was in college I was already kind of freelancing a little bit on the side and this is before you even really know what freelancing is you're kind of just oh I'm just doing some side cash and that's it right I was freelancing a bit selling t-shirts to make some extra money and like you said I never really thought that like oh I can like do this for a living be my own boss and sell my own things it was really just oh this is nice but I think since then, I've, I've always kind of just continued to freelance after college too. And even when I was at my ad agency job and at my other roles, I was always on the side kind of clocking in more hours at night for clients who needed graphics done. And so for a brief while, I was entertaining the thought of, oh, this is kind of interesting. Like I'm, I'm getting enough clients while freelancing that I can possibly like sustain myself with. And so what would it be like if I kind of just left my job and just quit and just like did freelancing or ran like a freelancing agency or like a design agency? And so for a while, I was really trying to like get that started. So I would be at my corporate jobs during the day and at night I would clock in those hours for those freelance projects and just trying to like prospect and get some more clients and go to these events and like network and stuff like that. And it was awesome actually harder than I thought it was going to be in my mind I was doing these calculations of like how much I would need per month from freelancing to be able to quit my full-time job Mm -hmm. and it was really hard to get to that number where I felt stable enough to kind of take that leap and so I tried it a little bit and then it was just really really hard and I couldn't get enough clients to kind of quit my job full-time and so basically I was Dating my co founder, Wesley King, at that time too. He was trying to help me get this freelancing agency off the ground as well. And we were both just having a hard time. And so we decided to think a little bit more strategically. And we were like, okay, maybe it's not something that's so service based, but more of a product. Because a product in our minds is something that we can scale a lot easier and a lot faster. Nothing is easy, nothing is fast, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> from what we've learned but yeah so that's kind of how we got to the moment because we wanted to think of a product and so we were brainstorming for a while and landed here mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the whole freelancing thing definitely really resonates. Because I was mentioning to you before that I also freelanced writing on the side. Mm -hmm. And it's just so many things that you don't realize until you go into it kind of similar to what you said about, there's so many things about business that you didn't expect or didn't realize until you started one. So I'm curious for you, as you and Wesley were thinking about a product, did you go through a whole bunch of lists or how did the brainstorming process go and how did you land on nimble main? was there a strong contender
1: yeah so we were yeah we were definitely thinking for a while I think because we were at the point where where our corporate jobs weren't fulfilling we kind of felt like we we're like wasting our time like eight hours 40 hours plus a week kind of just sitting at a desk job It was just, it was hard for us. And so we were almost desperate to get out of it. And so we were ideating a lot and brainstorming a lot. And so we kept lists anytime something came up or an idea came up, we would just like write it on like our phones. And I felt like it was helpful, but then like also not really because then you just have like a bunch of papers with a bunch of like words <laughs> on it <laughs> but it, it's really fun though um, I definitely think that that's a good approach if you're someone who needs to like write things down I think that's really helpful for us we were writing down a bunch of different ideas um, discussing them and then clicking on it and then seeing if that was something that was so interesting the next day for us I think the idea of creating men's actually slim fit dress shirts, as we like to call it was based off of Wesley's struggle with not finding a dress shirt that fit him well just off the rack he's definitely a former man he's like five size in height around like 130 135 pounds in weight and so for him a lot of the struggle when finding a dress shirt especially since he worked in banking so he had to wear a dress shirt every day it was yeah it was really hard for him because the sleeves would be too long the dress shirts would be like super long in like length as well or the collar would be too big he couldn't like wear a tie with it and so it was just hard for him to find the stretcher that fit him. And so we often had to, like, go to the very boutique Japanese store on Madison Ave. And mm-hmm. they had, like, a Tokyo, like, slim fit, you know. And so that size naturally just fit him a lot better, I think, just because they're more boutique. And so we were kind of like, why is it so hard for him to find clothes? Even just t-shirts, we would go to, like, H&M and, like, Zara. So and like, yeah, they fit. They'd be, like, a little bit loose. And he's, he likes to wear things, like, a little bit tighter, I guess to say. And so... It was, it was kind of a struggle because I felt like I don't have that problem. I usually wear, like, a small or, like, a medium in, like, most kind of, like, retailers. And so I'm like, no way. Like, there has to be a store or a brand where we can find pants that fit just off the rack, you know, or, like, shirts that fit just off the rack. And going shopping with him, I was like, dude, this is like, your life sucks. Like, this is <laughs> really, really
0: tough. <laughs> well, because we don't realize it, right? Yeah. As females, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Or I think as females, it's like, there are... I think there's a little bit more awareness in in terms of like the size inclusivity for women's clothing. Like there's brands that only do like petite lines or there'll be like plus size brands now too. But
0: uh, I feel like there's less so
1: kind of in the men's space.
0: Yeah. And so for people who are kind of currently struggling with a lot of different ideas and they don't know which one to choose, what would your advice be? Yeah, I think
1: feedback is so important. Oftentimes, even like beyond the ideation phase when Wesley and I are just brainstorming ideas for like campaigns or how we should like take photos of our shirt or all that, like it's so helpful to have someone be there as like a sounding board to talk the ideas back and forth too. I don't think you absolutely need to have a co-founder, but just having someone there, whether it's like your mom or like your sister or your best friend or like someone that you're close to to kind of just like run ideas by, I think is really valid because you're so attached kind of your creativity and your idea especially me as a person who comes from like a design background like everything you make is just like it's all your creativity pushed into it and you're just like you're like in love with it and you're just striving to make it perfect pushing pixels until it looks balanced everything like that but then someone else comes and looks at it and they'll be like oh I have no idea what you're trying to sell and you're like oh mm. that's really interesting that you would see it that way validating your idea is really important if you have someone that you can chat with and be like yo what do you think about an app that rents umbrellas by like, hotels or something like that and then just feel like what they say I mean, that's really really helpful
0: yeah market validation right because I think there's especially when we're creating something I think there's this tendency to kind of shut ourselves away and go to you know dark corner and spend so much time and effort into it and then when mm-hmm. you finally launch it and it sees the light of the day then I know with a lot of beginner entrepreneurs, and I've experienced this myself too, where you finally launch something and it's just crickets because you mm-hmm. haven't been like, getting feedback along the way and making those iterations.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that something that we have found recently too is that, especially since we're talking to other, like, we we'll often get requests from other people who are like, "Oh, we'd love to chat. I have some ideas. But I don't know if it's the right ones, and we'll talk with them." And you know, like the consensus is that like there's almost no more like unique value props in like any industry because everyone's doing something like we create actually slim fit dress shirts in the niche market. But there's other niche brands that do almost the exact same thing, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to think oftentimes people are trying to find that one idea that no one has ever thought of before that can like really float in the market. But that's a really tough trap to kind of lay yourself in because every idea has been thought of. Maybe like once in a while, there's something like really unique and innovative and tech-enabled. But then at the same time, there's the other 99% of them, that product already does exist or that service already does exist. And I think that's totally fine. You just need to stick to an idea, pick one, test it out, get to like an MVP stage and then see if it works or not. Mm,
0: yeah, that's so good. Everything has been done is basically putting your unique twist. And you also have a really touching story in terms of your why. I know I read mm. that the motivation was also because of your dad. So could you talk a little bit about that and how he inspired you to also create Nimble Shirt? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah thanks so much. I think when Wesley first told me that, dress shirts did not fit him off the rack. I felt I had heard that before. I'm from the San Valley area within LA County. And so it's a very kind of Asian community. And so a lot of my friends growing up were Asian and also. Slimmer asian americans too and so i often heard that among my peers but that de- definitely with my dad my parents immigrated to the state in their like mid-20s i think and my dad is like i wouldn't say he's small by any means he's maybe like five eight a little bit taller he's like 140 145 you know so he's not like small he's not like big either he's kind of just in the middle but he has a slimmer frame yeah and so sounds like
0: I, my dad honestly that description yeah, fits my dad. <laughs> a, lot of, yeah a lot of Asian dads. um but
1: I was I feel like okay, I'm gonna get like a little bit personal here but mm-hmm. my parents divorced when I was I think in middle school and it was very hard to me mm-hmm. and I think that like many first generation families in the U.S. oftentimes you have one parent working abroad and you have one parent staying with you in the states right and so my dad was working abroad in China for most kind of like my childhood. And so whenever he came back, it'd be like once a year during Christmas, you know, for like a week or two. And so I really valued my time with him when he was in the States. And as I got older and older, I'd be like, dad, I would notice that, you know, he's kind of just wearing the same clothes all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, dude, you're like a businessman in China. kinda look good. You know, like <laughs> you're just wearing the same hello over mm-hmm. and over again. We would like go to all the big, department stores, Macy's, JCPenney's, Nordstrom, going through all the dress shirt brands there, you know, Calvin Klein, Hugo Boss, even with the smaller ones, Ralph Lauren. And it was just the, it was such an annoying process, first and foremost, because a lot of dress shirts are folded up and packaged on the shelves. So if you wanted to try them on, you had to like unclip and like take out the cardboard and the tissue and then you feel bad Mm -hmm. because then someone needs to put it back together. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that was really annoying, and we had to do that, like, a bunch of times, and we just never found something that fit him really well. Like, we were trying to look for a brand, I was like, okay, you can just buy from this brand forever, because we know this size will fit you. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, we just, like, never found that brand in the States, and he said, American dress shirts don't fit me. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was such a problematic statement, because I wanted him to be in the States, I want him to be here and like stay here with us and our family longer. But I feel like to him, it implied that America as a country didn't accept him or accept someone of his size or of his stature. Mm-hmm. You know, like as someone who is not even that short or mm-hmm. ultra skinny, for him to not find a dress shirt that fit him across any of these brands, across all these different stores we went to. I empathize with him a lot in that he felt very much excluded from the whole industry where they're like, oh, we don't make clothes for someone of your size. And I think that was that really that really tore me up when he said that, because I was like, but no, I want you to be here with me. You know,
0: Mm -mm. yeah, it, it sends that message that you don't belong here. And now you're making these shirts that are a lot more inclusive. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think so too. I know for sure Wesley, my co founder, felt that same way. He actually immigrated from Taiwan uh, when he was very young with his family. And so he's the type of person who's just so frustrated and yet so passionate trying to find something that would fit him. Like he has literally probably searched and looked at every single dresser brand. Online, in person, across different states. Oh, yeah, he's like that. He is driven because he just didn't understand why nothing fit him. Yeah,
0: and it's kind of like he was doing all that market research beforehand. In hindsight, yes, definitely, he definitely was. <laughs> <laughs> so, when did you know that it was the right time, or you know, the time to quit your job? Was there a turning point for you? I also know that you guys took about six months to get everything ready for symbol made. So, did you quit? Before you launch, after you launch, kind of what was the timeline like?
1: The idea came about in March 2018, and then thus started this kind of six month or so product development, market research state, of which we were still like at our full-time jobs. I was working at City, I was working at Ernst & Young. So again, two very big, high, reputable firms that both our parents were more than happy to see us stay there yes for like the rest of our lives you know and so there was a lot of uh pressure there but anyway so timeline wise we were still a full-time job even as we were developing our products and like looking at the research and getting early like user feedback on like the samples that we had gotten so i think in october october 2018 half a year later about we had gotten to a point where we had ordered a small batch of inventory so at that point we had made three dress shirts a white a blue and a pink one just like very standard essential colors that you need in your wardrobe so we had those three and we had like ordered i think we put in five thousand dollars together to order a bunch of them and they were just all in my apartment in new york city so at that point in october 2018 we were starting full-time jobs we had inventory we had a launch party that fall to kind of just tell friends and people within our community that we, we were going to do this, I guess. Like at that time, we had our website as well. It was up and running. So if you ordered, we were able to package it ourselves and ship it to you. We had kind of like figured out the, those initial steps that foundation and kind of already set up. And so October we have a launch party and then we have like a small little bump in sales. And usually right when you launch, all your friends and your family are like they'll kind of support you, order shirt. So you get a little bump. And then I think in um, November, a month later, we decided to quit our jobs. So that's kind of the timeline. Mm. The the leap is very different for him than it was for me. I think Wesley is more confident of a person that she felt he was able to execute on this idea and to kind of just hit the ground running. And so he, even though I had been talking about it for a while, that I was going to like leave my job first and do this full time while he stayed at his corporate job to at least have one of us be stable with income every month, mm-hmm. you know, he actually jumped the gun and he was like, I think we could do this. I'm going to do this right now. <laughs> um, wow, amazing. I was like, oh, things sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so Wesley actually he left his job before I left my job but mm. it was <laughs> it's a very very different story with me I'm very risk adverse I think through every step before I execute on it mm-hmm. and so for me to kind of leave my job at UI, of which I actually like liked, I did like it even though it wasn't like Really fulfilling. I didn't feel like I was. I had to drag myself out of bed every morning. You know, I, I could go and like I love my coworkers. I love being in that space and I love consulting our clients. so I think at the end of the day, it was just one of those things where you're like, uh, okay, but how long can I really do this for?
0: Right.
1: So for me, initially when we had that idea early on, like March 2018, I was already starting to kind of lay out the steps that I needed to take in order to feel comfortable with taking that leap of faith. So for me, those check marks were, I had to make sure that like my my parents were okay with it. I really needed the blessing of my parents, of my mom to make sure that she didn't have like a heart attack, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I had to make sure she was okay with that. I had to get like my, my personal finances in order. I was living in New York City, it wasn't cheap at all. I think outside of that, I had to make sure that I took the steps to be okay with it myself. I think after my mom signed off on it, it took a while, but I very strategically got her there. Um, After I had told my friends about it and they were supportive, after I had gotten all my personal finances in order, I was kind of at that last step where I was like, crap, now everyone's okay with it, but am I okay with (laughs) it? That is the hardest, dude. That is really, uh, I was just so, uh, I think looking back on it now, I am frustrated because it's such a mental roadblock to mm-hmm. your own growth. I just Yeah, I was I just found myself getting in my own way. And so, even when my parents are okay with it, friends are okay with it, um I was kind of like shit how do I get myself to be okay with leaving such a high-paying job my parents already said they're okay with it mm. am I just using them as an Mm-mm. excuse to so like not do it mm, so, um, so you kind of yeah you kind of get into the space and I'm sure it sounds very familiar to you like You kind of get into the space where you're just, wait, why am I doing this to myself? (laughs) I think eventually talking it out with Wesley really helped. Because, yes, she is my co-founder, but at that time, we had been dating for like two or three years already, too. So definitely Mm. someone that I was very much trusting a lot in, too. For me, she knew that I needed to write this pros and cons list, right? So we wrote out this pros and cons list of what would happen if I did take the leap of faith and what would happen if I didn't. And I think ultimately that was like the deciding factor for me because I think in my mind I I told myself, okay, what is the worst case scenario? Mm. The worst case scenario is that we fail. Our business is not successful. We fail. We don't make any money. Our savings is taking a hit and there's no way for us to find traction. Okay. If that happens, then what? Then the worst case is to just get Another job, yeah, another full-time corporate job. That's fine. I think that's what I needed to lay out for myself. Like, I needed to lay out that worst-case scenario that, like, worst case is fails, no problem,
0: just find another job. And then I think at that point I was like, okay, that's not that scary. Yeah, it's so helpful to hear what has helped you take that last step. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I often do with my clients here, right? To like really take a look at the fear, because then once you kind of look at it and really shed the light on it, then you're able to see it clear because I think oftentimes when we have this fear we just kind of back away and Mm -hmm. try to ignore it you know stuff it in a corner but yeah when you make that pros and cons list and you when you put everything out there it doesn't seem as scary I definitely also made a pros and cons list when I quit my job
1: yeah and I think everyone is really it's really different for Wesley he was kind of just like I want to do this because I'm in love with it and I feel passionate about it because it affects me so much that that's really all he needed to to take that jump. And I think that's very admirable. And I think that shows that there are different ways for you to kind of get there. And maybe you're not the type of person to make a list like us, you know, and like maybe you don't mm-hmm. like doing pros and cons list, but that's totally fine. You just need to understand what you you need to reflect a little bit and think about what will make you feel comfortable taking that leap.
0: Mm, yeah. That's really great advice. And Because you didn't have a background in fashion, how did you Mm -hmm. deal with the imposter syndrome? And, you know, just, and you kind of touched upon this, you know, not sure if you're going to make it and, you know, having this huge learning curve. How how did you get over those, again, mental barriers?
1: I got some really good advice from a classmate in college, actually. We were part of the same fashion publication on campus so you know you would make fashion issues every quarter just as like a fun thing to do because you're an org on campus. I joined that because I don't I don't really know actually I wouldn't say that I like really had an interest in fashion or am fashionable I guess (laughs) but I was intrigued to join this fashion publication on campus because in high school I was in yearbook so I really liked making printed catalogs or like printed issues. And so that's the reason I joined that, that org. And so when we were part of that org, I was in it for like two years. And my last year I was actually promoted to editor in chief
0: oh, of wow.
1: that fashion publication. Yeah, I know. I'm do That doesn't sound like me right now. So I was editor in chief of this fashion magazine on campus. And at that point I had asked the previous editor in chief. I was like, girl, I don't know anything about fashion. I am not fit for this role at all because I don't, like, really even, you know, like, like fashion. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just really like making beautiful designs and, like, printed issues, right? I think what really helped me was that she said, don't think of it as a fashion publication. Think of it more as a business. And I think that is something that has subconsciously carried over while I was running Nimble made because Leslie and I will say this all the time like we don't think of ourselves as fashion people or like entrepreneurs within the fashion space we're just selling dress shirts because we're trying to fill a gap in menswear right and so we very much kind of see it as a business it's nice because we sell dress shirts that are more kind of like a commodity we don't do anything that's high fashion like mm-hmm. runway type of dress shirts so we are very much selling these commodity products that people can buy. And that's how we're able to scale as a business. That's kind of how we picture it. And I think that helps us take off a lot of the burden on our shoulders. Of Oh, but is this fashionable? That doesn't really matter. Does this fit people well? Do they feel good in it? Is it comfortable? Is it within their price range? And are we making money off of it? Those are kind of like the parameters, you know, and I think that really helps us out. With that said, we very much by nature are in fashion because they sell clothes so as you said Wesley and I have no fashion experience so that has been a huge learning curve for us we've had to really learn what it's like to make a garment all the different pieces that come together and then working with your supplier and your manufacturer to make sure that they're doing it right so that has been probably the hardest part of all of this just diving into a, a super traditional, super old industry that is already doing things a certain way and us needing to catch up as we're selling clothes already online. It's been a huge learning curve. We're still learning, but the very practical answer is that uh, at the beginning when we were thinking about making these dress shirts, honestly, we were just doing like mood boards and collages on PowerPoint and we were sending those to like suppliers. Mm. And that's kind of how we started. We're now... Making sure that we do it in a more official way in the fashion industry. They use tech paths or like technical paths, which are very kind of technical documents that like really lay out numbers and details and all these different trends for making a garment. But we're just learning that like right now we've been doing this for about a year and we're, we've been kind of very scrappy and very lean the first half of our time with made, so it's new new things we're learning every day
0: <laughs> yeah and thank you so much for sharing those insights and behind the scenes i definitely have some questions for you in terms of the making the garment process before that i okay. yeah i want to say that i love that perspective of seeing it just as business because i think when you mm. think about it you know i'm entering the fashion industry it feels like there's a lot of barriers, right? In terms of, for uh-huh. me, for example, I had those assumptions like, oh, you need thousands of dollars to start making clothes or you know, you need designers to work on it with you or you need a degree mm-hmm. from fashion school to do something like this. So it's really cool uh-huh. that you broke through these myths by strategy of looking at it as a business. Because like you said, at the end of the day, everything is a problem and you're solving it. So you're solving a problem for your customers and entering a totally different industry and the sidelines, I, I found that perspective to be really helpful.
1: Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad. I think that being on a podcast with you and like other interviews I've done in the past have been really helpful because it's allowed me to reflect a lot. And that's something that Wesley and I don't really get to do that often we're so in the trenches every single day. And so I'm glad to, to hear that it's helpful.
0: Yeah. And I think it would be super helpful for the listener to take that approach. And I think it really breaks down the barriers for entering new industries. So in terms of the garment making process, I have three quick questions for you. So in terms of product development, um, I'm just thinking like, do you basically like draw, do you, be, or were you like basically measuring Wesley and like drawing it on like you know white paper I don't know maybe I'm seeing too much like YouTube sewing videos but Mm. how do you like put those measurements and like how everything is cut how do you put that on paper
1: yeah great great question we had no idea how to do anything and how to make a shirt (laughs) and so for like full context right now we have six unique sizes that we sell on our website so we do a, a scale of N0 to N5, and this is a scale from smallest to, like, largest. Mm-hmm. If you're someone of Wesley's build, who's 5'5", five, five, I think he gained a little weight. He's, like, maybe 145, five, one fifty now. Um, <laughs> you would fit into an 2 size on our site. Mm-hmm. And so we have, we have these sizes, these six sizes now that are off the rack sizes that you can input your height and your weight into a calculator on our website. And then we would recommend one of these sizes mm-hmm. for you. So we've taken in these traditional measurements across, you know, like the neck size, the sleeves, the shirt length, and this has kind of created our actually some fit. Mm-hmm. And so when we were thinking about doing this, we were kind of like, wesley let's just make a custom shirt for you like let's uh, just start there okay right yeah that was really the easiest thing to do because we we're like hey his body is right here let's just measure it <laughs> <laughs> wesley being someone who had to wear a dress shirt every day for work having looked everywhere for a dress shirt that fit him but couldn't find one he had kind of a baseline knowledge for just how measurements worked specifically on dress shirts because mm-hmm. Dress shirts right now in the industry are usually sized by a neck and a sleeve length. So if you're buying a a dress shirt at like Brooks Brothers, for example, the size will usually be 14 and a half neck, 32 sleeve length or something like that, right? And that's kind of like the size you would get. For us, that was really hard because like Wesley was always one size smaller than what most brands offered, Mm -hmm. And so we found this like neck and sleeve dynamic to be really hard for like finding a really good slim fit. And so, we're okay, let's just measure you all around <laughs> and let's just put it into an Excel sheet. And so, you know, we did his arms, we did his chest, his back, and the ideal shirt length. Mm. We took down all these ideal kind of measurements that he would want. We put them into the Excel sheet. And then what we also did was we bought a bunch of shirts online as okay. well. I'm a very firm believer in that you don't need to start everything from scratch. Literally, if there's shirts out there, buy those shirts and measure those shirts as well because people have put millions of dollars of time and research into creating those shirts. So there must be value in that too. Right. So we bought a bunch of competitor dress shirts. We measured the size closest to like Wesley's, and we kind of just made this comparison chart with all these numbers. This is where Wesley's skill set comes in more than mine. He's very good with like numbers. I'm like, oh my God, I'm like horrible. <laughs> I'm horrible with Thank numbers. You. So he did kind of this, like, analysis of, okay, these are the ideal measurements. And he would try on all these competitor shirts, too. And he'd be like, oh, this sleeve length is actually, like, pretty decent. Let's, like, capture this. Mm-hmm. And then we were capturing parts of everything. And after that, we, well, I say we, but mostly he, he had kind of the measurements that he felt would fit him the best. And then he scaled down and he scaled up. Mm-hmm. as Yeah, as best as it, it's always kind of a guess there's yeah. no industry standard where it's, I mean I, I'm sure I think the industry standard is actually you know like half an inch or like an inch or something like that but we were kind of just like that seems like a huge difference and so we scaled a little bit down we scaled a little bit up and then we just shipped it to someone and we're like hey can you just like make five sizes for us that's kind of how we started our fit.
0: Gotcha that is so interesting to hear and just getting to know mm-hmm. the whole process better and then How how much inventory did you have before you launched?
1: Oh, good question. Let's see. We put in like
0: 5K and I
1: think that got us 100, 200 shirts. It was a pretty small batch of, of shirts that we got because, and this is the struggle if you're making clothes with multiple sizes, you have to put in a lot of capital to meet the minimum order requirement because at the beginning we had like three shirts, but each shirt at that time had five sizes each. And so we would be like, mm-hmm. oh shit, how many sizes per shirt
0: could we get with only five thousand dollars? And so we had about like three boxes. <laughs> okay, shirts. got it. And so manufacturing feels pretty daunting, same as suppliers, you know. So you're just really quick. Um, did you find your manufacturers and suppliers by googling, or is there like an online resource that people can use to find these people?
1: Yeah. So for our clothes, we did the initial like, Google research. We're like, where do you make clothes? <laughs> yeah. I think we ended up finding a couple of vendors on com, which is an yeah. online platform for finding vendors to work with. And so we found a couple of vendors through there. And then more recently, we've been going out to trade shows um, oh. where vendors will come and, you know, they'll set up a booth and you can go talk to them and look at their stuff and feel their quality. And so... Uh, that that's also been another avenue
0: for us. Mm, That's pretty interesting. And I know you mentioned that your first customers were mainly from friends and family. And I saw that picture. So this is where I kind of teared up was when I saw your the picture of your dad wearing the pink shirt, the new year. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh oh my gosh. Ah. (laughs) And his posture, right? Seeing the picture in the WeChat Mm. environment and his posture, you know, standing up very straight with, you Mm. know, his shoulders back, it, it just reminded a lot of how my dad was stand too, when wearing a chest shirt. Mm. So that really ran.
1: <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, yeah, we did get that small bump. My dad was, I think, our second customer when the website went live. The first one was Wesley's mom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she she's in Jersey, so it was a little bit easier for her for us to be like, hey, it's live, and then she would go buy it, whereas my dad was probably sleeping because he's in China, mm-hmm. um, time difference. But yeah, no, like it's great. Yeah. Really
0: great. <laughs> yeah, for me too, my first clients were closer friends. And I know mm-hmm. you've been featured in the press with Huffington Post and Money. You've been on a lot of podcasts and you're experimenting with SEO, Facebook, Instagram, partnerships, all these things. So out of yeah. all the marketing channels and ones that I haven't mentioned, which one has been the most effective for you in terms of sales so that the listeners can kind of get an idea of what they might you know, want to try out first?
1: Yes. Yeah. We went into it thinking that as long as we had products, as long as we had the shirts and in inventory, and we were running mm. Facebook ads, we would be able to sell them. Mm. It was very naive on our part. Mm. <laughs> I think mostly because a lot of people do it, um, but a lot of people are like drop shipping yeah. products from like China, which is totally great if you know how to hack it. But we went into it thinking that we just needed to run really good Facebook ads, have a good Facebook ad strategy, and optimize and test. That that's kind of where the majority of the revenue would come from. That's not true at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we also thought we could do it ourselves because Wesley's pretty good with data and I have that design creative. And so we're like, dude, dream team, let's kill it. <laughs> Definitely did not kill it, but we learned a lot. So right now, at this moment, let's see, it's January 2020, uh, we're seeing a lot of sales come in organically through search engines. Oh, so awesome. that means, yeah, I hope. <laughs> Thank the Lord. Um, So that means uh, people who are searching best slim fit dress shirts on Google or searching clothing brands for skinny guys, for example, Mm. we would come up as a result on Google search organically, meaning it's not like a paid search result. We would come up organically through one of our blogs. And then they would click on it and they would read our article on our blog and our website and they'd be like, oh, this is a cool brand. And then they'll like navigate to like a product. And they'd be like, oh, this is a cool product. And then they'll buy it from there. Organic has been really good for us. That's awesome. Yeah, that is good because you're not paying for ads. Mm -hmm. People are finding you naturally. But that does mean that you are paying people for those SEO efforts. And SEO is search engine optimization. And so you're paying people to, you know, write that blog post to think of SEO strategy to get you to rank up on Google. And so SEO has been really great for us. We definitely get a really good bump in terms of sales and traffic to the website whenever we have a press feature.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so we had our Money Mag feature May last year, and we had our Huffington Post in September last year. And those two, if you like, Create that chart of traffic. You'll see two yeah. big spikes just for those two, and so that's been really helpful too. Again, that's great. You don't pay for those. You just try really hard to get those coverage and that press, and then that'll just naturally bring in people to your site. And so those have been really good. But I think ideally, what we're striving for and what we're seeing a lot more of too is omni-channel, meaning that you know maybe someone will yeah first find us through the search engine, through Google, but then they decide not to buy at that moment because maybe, I don't know, they don't feel like it or they don't have, they don't trust it enough or they're, it's just not convenient for them to buy at that moment. Mm-hmm. And then because you go onto our site, we'll retarget you on Facebook with a Facebook ad. Yes, I've
0: been seeing them like, after doing
1: research. Yeah. <laughs> love it. It's working. Yes. So then, you know, you'll see a Facebook ad from us. You'd be like, oh, I remember this brand. I saw Mm -hmm. them on Google. And you'll click on that ad. And then maybe even at that stage, you're like, oh, I don't really know if I want to buy one yet. But you'll be like, I'll just sign up for the newsletter because you get 10% off the first order. And then you sign up in the newsletter. We'll capture your email, and then I'll email you like, hey, here's your ten percent off. And you're like, oh my god, what a great deal! I've heard of this brand three times already. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna buy. It. I'm gonna buy it. And so it's really just all these efforts across all these different channels that are kind of starting to work together. That we're trying to figure out how to best optimize the customer journey. Because for me at Ernst and Young, I was a UI UX consultant, so I Mm just user interface, user experience. I think a lot about the customer experience. I'm thinking each step, how can we remove something that causes friction for them on the website or even when they receive the package themselves in person does the packaging look nice I'm like very almost anal about it I like remove any pieces of plastic that they can possibly get in the in the packaging because I don't want them to feel like it's so wasteful even though it kind of is on my end Mm -hmm. but it's really thinking about the customer journey and thinking about who your customers are Mm -hmm. and at the beginning you don't know who they are yet but as you're testing it you get data. And looking at that data is so, so important. Looking at the age range, looking at where they're located, looking at are they coming in through desktop? Or are they coming in through mobile? And so you can optimize your website better for people who are coming in through mobile. Really looking at all of that and then doing everything, even though you have no time, but it's, it's been really good. Hopefully, you know, the omni-channel approach will benefit us in the long run.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a really cohesive strategy. Mm. I also have a marketing background, so I totally get what you're talking about. And I know for SEO, it takes a while for that to rank up on Google and for press coverage to sometimes it's a hit or miss or it might take a while to nurture those relationships. So for someone who wants to launch their own e-commerce or fashion business, what marketing channel would you recommend them to start with?
1: I think if you're running a website, of any sorts. Well, if you have a website and you want people to get onto that website, SEO is so important. I would really recommend you like read up on that because that's stuff that actually you can just do yourself. There's like keyword research you can do yourself. You really just have to like educate yourself on what SEO is and what steps you can take to better optimize your site. I think as SEO is important because for us, we've been self-funding our brand. So a lot of that stuff we learned ourselves we learned Facebook ads ourselves we learned how to do SEO ourselves and while we're like no expert on it that really gave us a good baseline of what those things are and what we need to be better and to figure out how we can hire the right person to help us take it over right but we found it really really beneficial to us literally learn everything yourself first before you you contract things out but yeah so there's all these things you're learning even simple things like social media you're yeah. thinking oh okay maybe like influencers especially in the fashion in the beauty space, you're kind of thinking influencers are going to be the thing that's going to take your brand off. But then we tried that as well. And it was hard. It was really hard for us to maintain because things like that look so obvious. Like, yeah, you just give them like a pair of sunglasses or yeah. you give your, your dress shirt, they take a photo, that's great. And then, you know, you'll sell a shirt from that photo. Mm-hmm. But I think, again, that's like very naive because you don't see a lot of the things that are happening in the background. So... For us, we've learned if you're thinking about influencer
0: yeah.
1: through social media, that stuff is really hard because you either need a bunch of cash to pay mm-hmm. all these people, or you need a lot of time to make sure you're on top of managing all these influencers, making sure they're posting and making sure they're tagging you. And sometimes you don't get tagged and sometimes they forget to post and sometimes they don't give us the photo in return. Or sometimes you have to you have a gift product too, right? So for yeah. us. Our dress shirts are 65 to $80. So they're not the cheapest thing to like gift. Right. And I think with influencer marketing, it is a quantity game where you have to work in volume too so that a lot of people see a lot of influencers wearing your stuff. So that will just take either a lot of money and or a lot of time. And so it was a big undertaking for us. We tried it. It was very slow. We didn't get that much traction. We didn't really see any direct return on investment or roi and so we just stopped it there because it took us a lot of time to communicate research and find these influencers and we just didn't have the bandwidth there are brands who dedicate their budget to just hiring an influencer marketing agency to manage like Mm -hmm. thousands of influencers at once for you we just didn't have the resources to do that and so right now our organic social media is actually just that is stalemate. We barely even touch it now.
0: Mm, yeah, sounds like you definitely experimented with so much yeah yeah <laughs> and that, that's necessary, you know, to share some personal experience my My strength is in writing, and so when I started my coaching business, I was writing a lot, and initially, I got some clients through that as well, but I was also experimented with a lot like for for mm-hmm. a couple of months i I thought Pinterest was the thing because I kept on seeing mm-hmm. a lot of lots of Pinterest. So I bought this Pinterest course, but it ultimately didn't really work out, and I was spending all this time creating graphics and pins mm-hmm. and. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and what you said about Facebook as I think it's so normal to have that assumption that okay, I'm gonna put this out there with a Facebook ad, and then people are gonna buy it because that's also what my initial assumption was was mm-hmm. okay, like if I make this blog post go viral, then people will come to me. Yep. For me, actually, press didn't work out that well. So I was featured in Forbes, and hey. I thought it was good for life. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought all these clients were gonna come to me, but I actually didn't do much. Like you said, you just have to experiment to see. What works for you and for your business, and ultimately, it's cultivating these relationships over time and building the audience over time.
1: Yeah, definitely. a hundred percent. I think now we're very much in a mindset where we're like, don't expect anything to happen correctly or mm. to or to go right right off of that. We are trying to underestimate more things that come our way, I guess to say sometimes when we, Get a hit and someone's like, Oh, I'd love to feature you. We're, just, we're being better about managing our expectations around it and what the ROI looks like for stuff like that like you said dude just expect so much You're like oh my god you know mm-hmm. like i've made it when we had hot posts i was like dude we're done <laughs> yeah. i don't need to do facebook ads anymore um no that's not true yeah just, you know, we've got to keep working and keep pushing but you do learn a lot and i think that's the most valuable thing out of this whole journey is just that every single day i am learning so much and mm-hmm. i feel like i'm finally pushing myself to my fullest potential and i'm finally at a state where i feel like I am investing in myself and redefining what like success for myself can be and how it looks like. And so I, I'm very grateful to be in a position where my parents have worked so hard to lay such a, a strong foundation for my education mm-hmm. and for me to kind of get from university to internship to uh, ad agency job at a uh, pretty big for right off the bat. I'm just so grateful for my parents and everything that they've had to do to get me there. And, you know, naturally, as I was leaving the corporate space, I was like, oh my God, I feel so privileged right now because Mm. I have the opportunity to do this because, you know, I have a home and I have food. If I go broke and this fails, I'm not going to be out on the street. I think that that is one of the most important things to consider it's like maslow's hierarchy of needs Mm -hmm. make sure that you're not going to end up on the street homeless if this goes down you really have to think about setting up the foundation for yourself to be successful because not every business is is going to be successful and is going to be profitable right off the bat it's going to take a few years a few months if you're really lucky but just making sure that you set up the guardrails for yourself to live a healthy and happy life i think that is the most important thing
0: yeah oh this is so so good Actually, it's just like a perfect transition into this question that I love asking all my guests is how do you define success now versus how you used to in the past?
1: I think in the past I defined success as a high paying job at a very reputable firm. I think that's kind of what it was at that point. I was at EY. I was like a senior consultant. I felt I felt like I had kind of made it, even though I felt a little bit empty. I guess on the inside, I think prior to starting Nimble Maid, or I guess like right out of college, I was kind of like, okay, I just need to land a good job at like a big name company and boom, I'm there, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. done. Whereas now i have really looking back on my time within the corporate space every day. I just feel like I could be doing something bigger and better and something that would make me happier, you know? And so yeah. I look back on all that time and I think success in my life is first and foremost, as I said earlier, having shelter, having food, having your health, that is just the baseline foundation you need for success because once you lose your health, yeah. like you can't run a business, you can't do anything, you know? Same thing goes with home and like with food. You need to have those things first and foremost. And I think the next layer on top of that is happiness. And I really value the opportunity to work on Nimble Made with someone that I love. Wesley Mm -hmm. and I are a couple, and we've been together for about four years now. And I think Mm -hmm. it's so fun. Like (laughs) it's really so fun. We actually don't really recommend other couples to start business together because it's really it's really really hard (laughs) i'm so grateful that we're we can spend literally every day together and work on something that we love together and be happy Mm -hmm. it's a very unique relationship as business partners and life partners but to answer your question i think success is basically just being happy every day doing what i love with people that i love Mm -hmm. again with home and health and food. Food is very important, but I think that's kind of where I'm at. I think because this is a brand that is founded on a mission to provide a solution to slimmer Asian Americans within the community, to people I'm very, very close with, my own father, you know, it's a very personal brand. So it is very fulfilling. And I want to remember to not Get myself so entrenched in the business and that i lose sight of that mm-hmm. and that i'm not spending time with my family because i'm working on work right like you and anyone else who has a side hustle or like a business going yourself you know that there's an infinite list of things to do and you can very much get lost in that and just completely start to block people out or mm-hmm. feel like oh i'm sorry i don't have time get lunch with you because i have to do this and this but I'm really trying to be better about, hey, I have left the corporate space so I can spend time with my family and work yep. on something I love and be with Leslie, you know? And I feel very happy because I can just feel like, oh, let's not work today. It's Tuesday. Let's go out with my mom. Something like that I'm trying to be more cognizant of. than
0: any great right. Yeah, I love that. And that resonates so much because I think oftentimes when we want to start our own business, it's because we want to do something that we love and we also want to have the flexibility. And mm-hmm. when you have a lot of flexibility, it's so easy to start working from the morning all the way until the night, or sometimes yep. I feel guilty for taking walks in the middle of the day. Yep. But then I'm like, wait, I <laughs> changed into this. So I, this is exactly what I wanted to do. And sometimes it is hard to remember that, but it's so essential to bring rem- my savor mm-hmm. in.
1: Yeah. Self-care. Very, very, very important in whatever form it may be for you. It doesn't have to be yoga or meditation. It can literally be like playing video games, which is what Wesley and I have started to do now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Gaming partners now too. Yes, indeed. indeed. (laughs) So I have three quick questions for you, kind of like rapid fire in terms of advice for the audience. Okay. So what's something you wish you knew earlier when you started your business?
1: I thought I could just do something, execute on it, and then see the results the next day because I move very fast. I'm like, hey, if I do X and Y, I'm going to get Z tomorrow. That is not true. I've found that things take so much longer than you think it does to get done, especially if you're the person working on it because you're always tweaking something. You're like, oh, it's not perfect. And then you get feedback, and then someone else is like, oh, that's not perfect either. I wish I had known that things still actually take a pretty long time to get done.
0: Yeah. I remember working on my website. I thought it was only going to take like two days and it took me a whole two weeks. <laughs> exactly. Oh <my> God, the <laughs> website takes forever and it's like never yeah. really done. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: You don't realize it when you're just from the outside, but yeah, when you're doing it, it, it's definitely work. And what's a career resource or book you recommend?
1: So I have been on a reading spree or, I had this previous year where I read a bunch of these like entrepreneurial books, self help, or like business books, I guess you mm-hmm. say. I found the ones that were the most helpful were the autobiographies or the stories of successful entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So, I think two books off the bat are Shoe Night, that's by the co founder of Nike. Yeah, that's a really good book because he struggled through some stuff when he was making Nike. Mm-hmm. So, that's a really interesting book. I think. Elon Musk's book as well is very interesting. He's a very eclectic individual, and yet he's been able to accomplish things in three very different industries, you know, with SpaceX and SolarCity, and then now Tesla. I think it's just a remarkable journey. I find books like those very inspiring, and I aspire to be written about. Actually, I probably will have my own book one day, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, I
0: will. I will. Yeah. I love, I love it. And lastly, for those who want to, you know, build their own business and they're currently wavering between whether they should, you know, take that step or not sure how to get started. What's the smallest action step that they can take right now? Mm,
1: I would say pick one idea and just move on to the next step. So for us, we just need to pick dress shirts, let's do dress shirts. What's the next step? Let's do some market research. Okay. What's the next step? Let's look at some shirts that we like. What's the next step? You know, kind of just, I think the hardest part is finding the idea, picking the idea and Mm. deciding on the idea. But that's just the trap because you never know if that's going to be the right idea for you. You just need to pick one and just go. So pick one and then just decide what that next step is supposed to be. And then after you've done that step, go to the next step and just keep checking these to-dos off the list. And then eventually you'll get to a stage where, for us, we all of a sudden have shirts in our apartment and we had a website and now we have to do this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Breaking it down to small steps. Pick one idea and try it out because you really can't know otherwise.
1: a yeah, 100%. Just do it. Have some faith in yourself. Be a little bit braver than you usually are and just take that risk.
0: Yes, we both are cheering you on. And where can we find you to? follow along your journey or if you want to check out nimble made so our website
1: is nimble-made.com we're also on instagram that is nimble made and then facebook as well which is also nimble made i am too trying to pin on pinterest oh my God. so <laughs> that's uh that's my work sprint currently so you can find us on pinterest too nimble maid.
0: Yeah. I think it'll definitely work a lot better for you than it did for me. So
1: Mm, I don't know. You just never expect anything is going to work. So that's how I'm going into it.
0: You're right. Well, just try it out and see what happens and let us know. Right yes exactly amazing I will definitely include those links in the show notes below and oh my gosh Tanya this was so freaking fun and awesome to talk to you about your journey your super touching mission and why and for all your insights of how it's like to be a creative entrepreneur so thank you so much for coming on today
1: oh no thank you without you and all the other podcasters and blogs and like media outlets who are like creating a platform for us to tell our story on i think it's just so much harder for us so i really appreciate that you know you focus on the art and people who are redefining success and making that switch and taking that leap of faith like you yourself have done i think that's awesome to be able to lead by example and also create the platform where you can bring on other people like me to also share and tell our story dude without you guys without you i don't know (laughs) We would just be we would just be another website on the internet
0: thank you that means a lot (laughs) so many goodies in this episode right if you can think of one person in particular who would find today's message really helpful on their career change journey please please share this episode with them it could make a huge difference and as a big thank you for being here one of the most common questions that i get is how do i get unstuck and so I put together a free guide that you can use to help you break out of the rut and start taking steps towards a career you love through a Get Unstuck side project. You can get that guide for free over at onemonthprojects.com slash get unstuck. Enjoy and see you next week.